Hey guys, and welcome back to the Brown Girl White Coat Podcast. This is Sai, like a sigh of relief, one of your hosts. And this week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, my boyfriend, Dr. Meron Gide. He is a molecular geneticist researching cancer metabolics at Baylor College of Medicine. And we're going to talk about everything from his experiences in grad school to what his day-to-day looks like as a cancer biologist, as well as answering all of your juicy questions about our relationship, about how we met, and everything you wanted to know about dating a medical student. So... Fun stuff. Let's get into the episode. But right before that, make sure you go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Brown Girl White Coat Pod. And you can follow me on Instagram at Cybear, S A I E B E A R. And last thing, it really helps us if you leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts and go ahead and hit follow on Spotify to know every time that we upload a new episode. So let's get into this week's episode. I'm so excited for you guys to hear it, and hopefully, you guys enjoy. Hey guys, so today I'm sitting down with none other than my lovely boyfriend, Meron Gide. Oh, you pronounced it right. I did. Salam, hey, nice to meet you. So we're going to talk about everything from his work as a research scientist at Baylor, um, as well as his experiences in grad school, and then get into some more juicy details about our relationship. And you guys sent in a bunch of great questions about having a relationship in med school, dating a medical student, Mm. um, kind of managing our busy lives. So we'll get into a little bit more about that. What do you think about all that? Juicy details. I feel like we're on the the grocery aisle, People Magazine, we just on the cover. We are. We're on The Bachelor. (laughs) But we won already. PSA, if your girl tells you, hey, I'm going to watch this show, make sure you don't watch it without me, and then she proceeds to watch it without you, do you get mad at her, fellas? Please answer back. At Cyber. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Don't what to so, do. So, a quick disclaimer for this, because we're already getting into some of this. We tried to record this episode about two years ago, and mm-hmm. it was one of the lost episodes of the Brown Girl White Coat podcast. Um, crazy how that works. It was lost for a good reason, you know? Mm-hmm. The world did not want a one-hour clip of me just giggling and him doing whatever the heck he's doing. So I, I was being straight-laced, and she was being flirtatious, and she refused to be professional. Anyways, so. my mom listens to this podcast, so I don't want to get into anything crazy, crazy, anything too juicy, but we'll try to answer a few questions. There were a few good questions. We'll answer some of them, for sure. All right, looking forward to it. Okay, so, mm. okay, before we get into talking about you, um, we do a segment here called Setting the Record Straight. Oh, I've heard you of might, it. You might know it, you know, yeah. from previous episodes. Mm. Um, Long time, first time. So I'm going to give you three different statements, and you can say whether they're true or false in your opinion, and tell us a little bit about why you believe they're true or false. This is complicated. Okay. (laughs) It's really easy once you get the hang of it, okay? Okay. So it can be something like, you know, coffee is the best beverage, and you would say true, obviously, because it originated in my country. Oh, in Ethiopia? <laughs> Whatever. Okay. <laughs> it's all the same. <laughs> Racist. <laughs> Just like India and Pakistan. Mm. Okay, getting into the segment. Okay, yes, ma'am. so number one. I couldn't have picked a career more well-suited for me than what I'm doing now. True. Mm-hmm. Uh, true because as much as I love cooking, I don't want to have to pay for my own like um, 
what's the word uh supplies groceries <laughs> like starting your own restaurant that sounds tedious but with research uh being a research scientist is great because they pay you and they provide pretty much all the toys necessary and you're always learning something new and you're allowed to fail actually you're encouraged to fail because that just means that you are a limited process of elimination of what's right and what is more likely to be what you want so yeah i think research is way more suited for me because i'm never I'm, I'm never afraid to just mess around with other people's toys and then see what happens and if it's profitable i'll make money off of it if not i'm always gonna be okay <laughs> yeah well there you go and so you would say it's kind of like baking kind of like cooking similar in a way yeah yeah it is i mean the funny thing about it is like you're kind of creating your own recipe so even though like yeah there's certain basic things about research that are streamlined that you just have to that you just is well known but when it comes to like making your own publication it's not like you know the mds where <laughs> they just do a quick little survey and they like, oh this surgery worked let's talk about the surgery and let's publish a paper no 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 if you're in the hard sciences <laughs> basic research you are taking something from you are a god you're taking something from scratch and you're making something new you're creating a new therapeutic you're finding new metabolic pathways biochemistry you just making you know you're just making stuff up as you go and if it works and your peers are cool enough to approve of it we'll talk about publications later but yeah <laughs> yeah i'll definitely get into that yes, i know he gets on me and all the med students out here all the, the clinical researchers out here that you know just set up a survey and call it research slap their name on it get published <laughs> it really honestly it's out of envy man like i wish i wish that life you know, yeah i wish it was that easy but. <laughs> it's okay you're doing you're doing uh more impactful work at a at a, at a smaller scale no. that can be applied you know bench to bedside yeah but cloud is cloud <laughs> this will get you funding that's true yeah we can talk for ages on how you know, med students get all kinds of publications that, you know, just kind of check the box and mm -hmm. aren't real research. But mm -hmm. that's tea for another time. Indeed, yes. <laughs> okay, going into the second one. Or chai. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Being a research scientist is much better than grad school. Being a research scientist is much better than grad school. Yes, because... Well, it depends. If you're a research scientist and you can't get funding or you have a harder time like with a, with a project that works, it's worse than being a grad student. Because as a grad student, you could be funded as a TA for like seven years and you'll be straight and nobody will look at you crazy. But if you're a research scientist and you're hopping from lab to lab and you have to go from institution to institution and sometimes you might have a family with you, that's pretty, that's pretty harsh. So mm -hmm. I think you're more independent as a research scientist, which I personally enjoy. But a grad student is definitely pretty chill. And guaranteed funding. Yeah, guaranteed. Almost. Yeah, but it's like it's nothing, obviously. Yeah. Just, I mean, you, you know how broke I was. So, <laughs> and you stuck with me, and I appreciate that. <laughs> I um, was too. Yeah. I still am. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. So here and there. Here and here and there. But okay. yeah, like definitely way better to not be a grad student thinking about defending and stuff like that. Okay. You know, once you're past that, people can call you doctor if they're nice. Right. And they should. Yeah. Yeah. I can't save your life. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on. Oh, true. Okay, number three. It's difficult to be in a relationship with a medical student. No, you get so much free time. They're constantly studying. <laughs> I always have time to play. You know how many PS4 games I've gone through since you started med school? <laughs> I'm cruising. Uh, no, it's it's always comes down to communication. How many how many people do we know that like they they don't talk things through and then you know time mismanagement and they get mad at each other whatever whatever i don't know who we're thinking of at the same time but just 
as a person who's not in med school, it's your responsibility to not get in their way and to mm. be understanding and knowing that if someone is giving you even an ounce of the free time when they're not studying for stepper or something, that means they really like you because <laughs> they're prioritizing you over sleep or you overeating properly or you going to the gym versus the gym. So, no, I think it's pretty chill, personally. I think it's... Aww, nice. that was a really good answer. Thanks. Yeah, we'll get more into that, too, because I think it really is about communicating and time management. And it, it was maybe a little harder to make it work when... I was just getting into the flow of things, right? Um, but now, you know, I feel like we do a pretty good job of that, so hopefully we can talk about it some more. Mm. Are we going to talk about our research? Yeah, let's get into it. Right. Okay, so mm. this is going to be, you know, mostly talking about your research in grad school, but okay. we have some questions mixed in that people have asked about these things specifically, so I'll try to give a voice to all the people that kind of ask questions and everything. Sounds good. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? We got to know you a little bit with the, the rec setting the record straight mm -hmm. um but tell us you know a little bit about where you grew up where you're from you know okay uh yeah that's easy enough so i should just bring my personal statement for my grad school uh, <laughs> applications basically uh eritrean american born and raised here in the u.s missouri gang gang shout out to mizzou's m-i-z z-o-u thank you o-h-i-o but go on <laughs> you guys voted for trump i don't want to hear it so <laughs> no yeah okay so went to uh so yeah from missouri uh, my family is eritrean american if you guys know where ethiopia is it's uh used to be part of ethiopia uh the the ethnicity we are called are habisha so this is in east africa so if you know anybody like the weekend is ethiopian he's considered habisha uh jay holiday put you to bed he's eritrean amine is both like we out here man so um but yeah so that's my ethnicity um, I get mistaken for Indian all the time. I'm not mad about it. My dad has wavy hair. It's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I went to, uh, grew up in Missouri, went to undergrad in Mizzou. Um, Education-wise, I always liked biology, always liked sciences. I thought I liked chemistry, and then I tried it. It got hard, so I left it. Stoichiometry <laughs> makes no sense. It does. It does not, absolutely. No. Organic's cooler, but... Um, yeah, I really had an affinity for biology. I had really good teachers in high school, like super, really super dope. Um, in my old high school, there was this thing called a, a career center mm -hmm. and it had like, it was like, it was like a little vocational school that was like attached to my high school, but had all of the high schools come out, uh, around the area to go there. So they had like, um, what do you call it? They had, uh, like laser tech, uh, they had like cooking, they had all these different types of extracurricular programs or, or, or classes that you could take. And long story short, they had a biomedical research course. And uh, there was like three years worth of it. And I took it through sophomore through senior year. And my teacher was the same teacher for all three classes. And she taught me like the basics of pipetting, the bas basics of creating agar plates and stuff like that. And I didn't hate it. Like she, made, she was like really strict with like precision and all that stuff and accuracy. And she was really, 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 really encouraging. And she knew I was, I was a jack, I was a jerk. Like I was like sticking my tongue out at her. I was being rude. I was interrupting class. And she was really receptive and very encouraging, very nurturing. She was one of my favorite doctor, uh, Mrs. Robertson. She just never gave up on me. Mm -hmm. And I think she was, the, she was the dopest for that. So I was I always appreciate I went back after uh, I graduated and saw her. And she's just like, she's the best. But yeah, she, yeah. So that kind of encouragement, seeing the uh, biomedical sciences. Um, I knew I didn't want to be a doctor because sick people are gross. So <laughs> that was one of the questions. Why not? Why not um, get your MD? Like, what kind of drove you away from the field of medicine and drove you towards doing research? Okay, yeah, that kind of ties in. So um, when I was an undergrad, I was doing like uh, undergrad research, just trying to get experience and stuff like that. And then around my sophomore year, I was kind of teetering between 
do I want to go to MD? Do I want to even try to get a med, like go to medical school? Because you know, Eritrean American Habesha people are just like any other ethnicity. Honestly, either you're an engineer or you're a doctor. So you know, I had those options. And then when I was uh, in sophomore year, I got invited. Oh, I, I applied to and I got accepted to a summer research program at Duke University, mm-hmm. SRLP, Summer Research Opportunity. Some. So when I got in that program. Uh, it was super hype and it was only for PhDs in training. So I just went in there acting like I'm going to get a PhD. And then the program is so comprehensive and like so dope. Like this is drilled into your head. Like, do you want to be in school for eight years <laughs> or whatever? Like, do you want to do a residency or do you want to do research and like prove people wrong and stuff like that? Like, because <laughs> that's how I see it. Like the, the research there was so like cutting edge and they were just like, oh, you read this in a book. Okay, let's either prove this right or let's prove this wrong and let, let our research be what's at the forefront of the sciences and uh, to me that's so dope to be able to read something and then kind of prove it wrong so when after i did the research program over there i just decided my junior and senior year just to go straight to a phd program because also sidetrack when i was 10 years old uh my dad who was an agriculture engineer uh one time i was asking him, I was like dad what do you do he goes i got a phd whatever i was like ah oh, cool how much did that cost and he just started laughing he's like they paid me <laughs> and I sat there and I was like, yo, Pops, how much is an MD? And he's like, he's like, it's like a quarter million. I said, oh, okay, this is an easy choice. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's why I do research. So Yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot of downsides. And I think a lot of people that are pre-med and especially Indian people, they really don't consider any other careers. Like, I have people in my DMs who are like, you know, I never even knew that physician assistant or that, you know, nurse practitioner was even yeah. a thing. Right. That all these allied health professionals were, you know, they do amazing work and they're part of the medical field in the same way, hmm. but they have different paths to getting there. So I, I like bringing people on who have different opinions and different tracks. So Yeah, really fascinating episodes that I definitely helped uh, edit a few. He, yeah, he definitely edits for me whenever, you know, exams are coming up. No credits. <laughs> Yeah, mm. maybe we'll start putting something in the bi- in the show notes. <laughs> Thanks, babe. <laughs> okay, so let's get into what you studied oh, okay. in grad school. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your program, how you, I guess, like got to be there, and what you ended up studying. Okay, so after I finished undergrad through senior year, I was applying for grad programs, and I got into Baylor University, so Baylor University where we met, and the guy that I focused with, that I, I took my advice at my as my advisor was a plant virologist, mm-hmm. and I'm trying. I was actually trying to think about how to like remember how to discuss this in the most <laughs> simple terms because I remember trying to tell you this as an undergrad, oh, you're an undergrad, <laughs> and you were just blank faced. <laughs> Oy vey, yeah. Uh, okay, so long story short, he was my lab was working with these small proteins, these peptides. Okay, mm-hmm. that I were AMPs. AMPs, antimicrobial peptides. That's right. <laughs> and the focus of my lab was to find a way to not only create, uh, so to produce these in mass, these small AMPs, and also to target them, target them molecularly to go against uh, um, antibiotic-resistant bacteria, superbugs, right? Because so as you, so with every every research starts out with a question, and then you have to find a method to approach the question. And you have to make sure that no one else has done your answer so you can publish it and make money off that eventually. Maybe patent it. So those mm-hmm. are the three pillars of research, right? So for us, our issue at hand was there are antibiotic-resistant bacterium. They're just rampaging, you know, vancomycin resistance, you know, and all that. So our idea was we needed to find these super tough 
proteins that were found in nature already mm-hmm. so we found we we, um, we went through databases that have all these amino acid sequences for the these proteins these peptides called amps and we found the ones that were most structurally stable so we found that uh, the sequence is kind of it's really cool so uh, one of our uh, our colleagues was he was a bioinformatician right so the bioinformatics guy he knew that within the sequence of the amino acids of the protein between the cysteine the c's in the protein sequence, there was a strong disulfide bond. Which made, mm-hmm. which made, which all that meant was that these things would fold on, their, on each other. The protein would fold on each other, super compact and super stable. So they would survive in different pH levels and different mm-hmm. heat resistance, all that stuff. So it could survive in the gut, for example, if you wanted to feed it to somebody. Yeah. So once we classified that protein, it was my job to um, find some sort of physiological property of that peptide that would make it um, feasible to produce in mass. Mm. in a plant because my guy was a plant biologist but mm. at the same time i was also producing them in uh, bacterium because that's more practical if you want to make it in industry mm. so i did both and that took a lot of genetic engineering on my part so my degree was basically becoming a molecular and molecular uh, engineer as well as uh, proteomics work and a little mm. bit of microbiology mm. okay does that make sense yeah i think i finally understood it yeah, i that... finally understood it i won't remember this okay yeah. i promise you you can quit me later okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will quiz you. This sounds so, so interesting. Yeah, so all the genetic engineering was was I, I built these little uh, these uh, these gene cassettes, these constructs. So I I uh, cloned in you know PCR, you and all this stuff. So I just cloned in certain sequences with a basic promoter region and all that stuff. And um, long story short, I took these gene sequences, I inserted them into a bacterium that I infected plants with. Then the plant leaves would get this this gene construct I made and produce the protein that I want mm. in in mass quantity. Mm-hmm. And then I would harvest that and I would use it to destroy bacteria. So uh, I did that in plants and I did that in E. coli. The novelty of it doing in plants was I found that the physiological property of the peptide was I needed it to be more negatively charged. Mm -hmm. So it would um, repel itself from the plant membrane, which is also negatively charged. Mm -hmm. So with that, I was able to accumulate the protein in mass. And that made it like Mm -hmm. industrial grade level of. Uh, expression which is like really really super super hard to do i met one other person who could do that i met at a conference in, if you remember in uh, california mm-hmm. um and he looked at my paper he looked at my poster he's like ah that's cool and then i went back to my professor and i was like oh i met the guy and then my professor freaked out he goes that's craig dr craig he's from australia like he's queensland like he's the best <laughs> at this and i was like yeah and he goes i don't think he saw your numbers yours are better than his and I was like, oh, <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> he's like no no he's hating on you i was like all right thanks professor um <laughs> So that was great. And then the fun, but the more fun part was I molecularly targeted my stuff. So at the beginning of the gene sequence for the protein that kills bacteria, I cloned in a pheromone little segment that is specific to a bacteria. So think of it as a targeting system that I put in front of the protein that is going to kill the bacteria. So the okay. peptide is there. And then in front of that is the pheromone that attracts the, because quorum sensing is basically... <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Long story short. My brain has died. I'm sorry. Basically... Bacterium can talk to each other using chemical signals. Yes. I took one of those chemical signals, chopped it up, and I attached it to the sequence of the protein that I know kills bacteria. Mm-hmm. And it made one long sequence together. Mm-hmm. That was produced in, in mass, and yeah. that was used to selectively kill uh, Streptococcus or Staph aureus versus Bacillus and whatever. Okay. So I was attacking gram-positive while ignoring gram-negative. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. And wow, then, that's yeah. amazing. So I produced both of those in mass, and then I figured out the properties of the peptide and how to make sure that you can not only do that, but also purify it 
because mm-hmm. because basically we're a biotech company at this point yeah so yeah we also found a way to pr- uh, produce them in mass and to purify them using uh chemicals like just water or just mm-hmm. yeah what well, pbs and salt so oh, cool. not using any type of um, surfactants or anything oh sweet yeah okay well now we know a little bit about what you do <laughs> yes. let's get to the good stuff no did you publish it Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> tell I us more. Oh, okay. No, yeah, I just told you the publication. So. I know, but tell yeah. us, I guess, the process of, public, of oh, publishing, yeah, yeah. kind of like what the culture is in grad school around publishing, because I think that's a big thing in med school is, like, you know, how many publications you have, and it's yeah. a huge thing to get into residency. Yes. So just kind of the parallel of that for grad school. Like, what's that like? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, what do you call it? Publishing is, like, you know, if you if you publish in your department, you're, like, the first to get a new pair of Lululemons, like... <laughs> It's it is a vibe and it is a status. Uh, it's a sign of status. It is super hard. It does depend on your PI, but yeah. In order to graduate from any grad program that I am aware of, you need minimum one first author publication. Okay. And that means that you have to be the one you know that instigated all the experiments and all that stuff. Sure. So that's really hard to do, <laughs> depending on your research. Some PIs just pump out publications all the time, yeah. but. Yeah, in order to graduate, you need at least one paper. Whenever you're interviewing for postdocs or whenever you're interviewing for like a position anywhere, they do look. They just go straight to your publications to see like what's the quality of your work. Have you been in your field? How long have you been in your field? Mm. Are you good at collaborating with people? Those are really like mm. telltale signs. That's why I always get mad at these MDs that was like all these publications have their name and it's dope actually because it makes you look like you're a team player and it makes you look like mm. you know what you're doing. So um, yeah, it's really hard to do. People get. People actually don't get competitive. So I, I believe, I don't know who I heard this from, but I know that MDs are very competitive uh, in a lot of aspects of, like the, I guess, with you guys, how you study and like, there's oh, like yeah. a doggy dog. There's like a huge push now to mm-hmm. make it more about collaboration versus competition. I think, you know, a lot of people on Instagram are doing a great job with that, like promoting collaboration, like sharing study resources, sharing, you know, information about labs or, you know, which ones are most likely to pump out publications things like that but yeah people get really competitive it's not a fun time yeah no yeah you, it's the opposite you, in grad school you have to like work with people like i couldn't wait uh, i had some buddies in the chemistry department one of my homies luke and he was just like he would always come up and just we would just talk about random anime stuff and then one day he was like dude you want to publish together and i was like bruh <laughs> now you're talking about wow and it was, it was that cool. sounds fun yeah it's 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 good it just um it takes a lot of hard work like writing paper the here's an example of how long it takes the day we met <laughs> i had just submitted my first public paper for uh for review and that yeah. took about like two years yeah so it it takes time it, yeah. does, it takes time it takes patience and peer-reviewed publications are super difficult when the reviewers don't know what they're talking about mm. that happens all the time and you have to have the highest amount of patience and you have to have editors mm. who listen this is very um inside baseball Hmm. but anytime you, you you do that it's like you you have to be and you have to concede sometimes you have to be like okay i guess i'll just do an experiment because you asked about it because sometimes they just want to show that they know something hmm. and that's the politics there is politics in research which hmm. is probably the biggest surprise i had in grad school hmm. how so is there anything more that we should know about that in terms of the politics of research or just more so to do with like publishing companies and things like that it's really the, the researchers like there's people who have there's egos mm. which i mean of course there's a bunch of men in the field so you would expect yeah there's gonna sure. be ego. yeah because women don't have egos oh yeah they don't exist nope. yeah we're, we're perfect actually yeah. <laughs> so I've, yeah that's what i've noticed anyways <laughs> individual research you know peer-reviewed yeah no it's it's interesting so like certain pi like certain professors certain doctors they'll have like a certain reputation 
and they have to be on a publication or they have mm-hmm. to have their say in something and you just have to kind of go along with it because they have so much clout or you have to like have a really really fair editor mm. or somebody you know so yeah it's a, it's a lot of politics and you, you gotta you can't hurt you can't hurt people's feelings even though facts don't care about your feelings but whatever so. facts not feelings facts not feelings facts over feelings facts that's facts <laughs> so interesting that's good to know yeah yeah be careful out there man just be nice to everybody okay i feel like this is a good time to ask um a question that i was sent in from actually one of your friends Mm. um i wonder if i should just pull it up so i can read it exactly okay so did you ever feel exploited or taken advantage of during your phd program and are there ways to combat the said exploitation does this include you wow <laughs> by your program okay uh, my program um yes yes i was de- yeah all grad students are cheap labor yeah uh all grad students first of all we almost lost our insurance when i was in grad school if you remember uh, really uh what was it uh the the tax cuts it was a few years ago whenever trump was like first in office 17 18 hmm. yeah about to get voted out um i remember yeah so we yeah we're cheap labor we get okay insurance, but because, uh, for example, you're either paid on an RA, research assistantship, or you're paid on a TA, teaching mm. assistantship. So mm-hmm. as you know, I was a TA for six years. Yeah. Nothing crazy about that. Um, but you're sometimes given a bunch of, so your, your job is to publish with your professor as much as you can. And, you know, sometimes yeah. your, your, your professor will have like collaborations mm-hmm. and sometimes they'll just dump that on you and be like, all right, just do whatever. Like we kind of owe these people, they paid us some money, so you should do whatever project that they're asking mm. us for. Um, sometimes those projects are BS Mm. and no matter how many times you tell your professor hey I've read through this I've done the work this doesn't work Mm. they may feel out of obligation or embarrassment or duty you know respectfully they're Mm. like oh I should probably you should probably just keep trying like whatever they ask us do it Mm. and I was lucky in that after begging and crying and you know just yelling and be like i can't do this bro like i know what time it is this is not it Hmm. um my professor was gracious enough to be like okay i see what's going on Hmm. and when it was time for me to graduate he was like i remember the work you put in for a useless project Hmm. i got your back and he had my back (laughs) so that dissertation would have been a lot harder if he didn't have my back for sure so yeah you do get exploited Hmm. but if you have a good person as your advisor it does come through yeah so Oh, that's really nice because I talk about this a lot on the podcast too about mentorship and how essential it is to find a good mentor and Mm -hmm. how like your your course can completely change 100% due to your mentor. Yep. So glad to know that the same thing applies in grad school too. Yeah, I've been blessed. Speaking of mentors, I've been blessed to have good mentors like my entire life. Yeah. Honestly, not even including my, my crazy old man. But like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like high school I had a really good um, he called counselor. He got me into McNair Scholars because mm-hmm. he was like, you need to do a good into McNair's. So when I got into McNair Scholars, McNair introduced me to Baylor University. Mm-hmm. When I got to Baylor University, I found current boss now. So it's all, I have a whole through line through high school, and I've had awesome uh, advisors from many different backgrounds, ethnicities, education levels, and they always have my best interest, and I'm very lucky. Yeah. yeah. Aww. That's awesome. Well, I'm happy for you. Thanks. For one. (laughs) Um, You mentioned, so your dissertation, you mentioned Mm -hmm. that whole experience. One of the questions we were sent in from one of the listeners was kind of talking about uh, defending your thesis. This person says, is is defending your thesis as scary as it sounds? And can you talk more in depth about the thesis and defense process? Okay. I was lucky. Like, what is it at first? Okay, Can we right, define right. it too? Because I think maybe people wouldn't wouldn't really know like what 
the culmination of grad school is that it culminates into this big thing yeah for sure so there's a common i think a mis- misnomer of it so there's a thesis defense and mm-hmm. then there's a dissertation. Dissertation is when you're defending your PhD, as mm-hmm. I understand it, as it was for me. Uh, a thesis, I believe, is mainly for master's programs. Okay. And um, what I did was, in my PhD program, I was super lucky. I was like one of the last classes to do this. I didn't have to take a qualifying exam. So mm-hmm. my, pro- my program, PhD programs, are usually anywhere between four to five to six to seven years mm-hmm. long. So your halfway point is your proposal defense, where mm-hmm. after your first few years of taking classes, you are then um, supposed to present your project of what your dissertation is going to be later. So you kind of show your proposal. You have like pre, you know, early primary data, and you say like, "Hey, I predict, I predict these are my results." Da 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 da. So my proposal defense was around two point five years in mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, way before I met. And then um, that was really um, stressful because I had to write an R one grant like mm. mock grants so that writing grants like 15 20 pages of just like science 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 mm. and that was super hardcore but was very helpful with setting up my project and i i am mm. very thankful for it because knowing how to write a grant is super important you can't fund yourself without that so yeah that's the halfway point most people whenever they do pr- their proposal defense also have to take qualifying exams mm. yeah i've heard about this yeah i didn't because <laughs> i am a lucky son of a <laughs> I'm lucky, boy. Uh, so I didn't have to take qualifying exams, but most people, whoever, like, they take their, like, whenever they take all those classes, they eventually are accumulate to taking qualifyings. Yeah. Um, and then after that, you have a few more years, and you hopefully, you need to have at least published one thing with your name on it, uh, first author. And then you do your dissertation, which is you're doing, like, an update of your proposal a few years back. And you say, hey, based on my proposal, I have done this, 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 and this. I have met all my aims. Mm. So you have like three main aims and then you just kind of go through them. And for me, each aim was a paper Mm. and I got all those more or less, except for the last one, but who cares? Oh, sweet. So yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. And then the dissertation is way more, I think more calm because by the time you're doing your dissertation, you've already had all your job interviews Mm. and you already know like where you're going and your girl already moved. So now you're ready to move into the same city as her and it's hype (laughs) and like you can finally go to all the good restaurants because Waco has no good restaurants. So yeah, that was that was way more calm the, for me. But the proposal was definitely way more stressful. The halfway point, yeah. especially if you're taking qualifyings. God bless you. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the process. Does that make? Sense? Yeah, no, for sure. All and right. I think you answered. You know, is it as scary as it sounds? I think it's like kind of, it's kind of scary. It's like taking a step exam. Like all everything you've done for however long culminates on on this one specific day. Yeah, but here's the thing. So with the dissertation. Um, so for the qualifying, it's like you're kind of doing everything at once. Like it's kind of new. You're just got to done taking classes and all that stuff. But your dissertation, for example, for me, my manuscript, I just had to write an introduction and a conclusion. But I was able to fold in all of my manuscripts. Mm. So the whatever 60-page long document I made, the vast majority of it was papers already published or already written. I see, I see. So that wasn't that bad. And once you've written all those papers and once you've done all that work with your, your advisor and you've gone back and forth, especially if a good, like I said, I had a great advisor. If you have a good advisor who's like testing you and pushing you, yeah. by the time you get questioned by your um, committee, so those who don't know, you have a graduate committee that determine whether or not you're good enough to graduate with a degree. So you need other doctors to confirm you're a doctor. And you usually have people that are outside of your, maybe your discipline or immediate discipline and stuff like that. And mine were pretty tough, but I knew them. And I was able to ask questions and I was, if you are able to like kind of predict what they're going to ask and if you are really harsh on yourself and like always thinking about your work, then it's not that, it's really not that bad. They can't ask you anything worse than you would ask yourself. 
Yeah, I think it like you're obviously extremely prepared. You have great mentors. You have all the time in the world. Yeah, you feel you feel more calm and you're you're uh, you're ready. Yeah, you're prepared. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because yeah. your, prof- your professor doesn't want you to go up there looking dumb. Yeah, true. Yeah. And then have his, his or her lab name attached to you. So. E- exactly. And I've known people who have failed and then they came back and they're fine. Okay. So it's not even like a zero-sum thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. So this is a question I got from someone, but also something I like to ask everyone that comes on is to kind of like walk us through a typical day in your life um so if you can kind of talk about what life is like for you a typical day now and then we can kind of compare it to grad school too because i think that's mm. kind of the the position that a lot of people are at that might be listening to listening to this you have listeners who are grad students i have listeners who are an undergrad and they're trying to figure out what the heck to do with their lives and oh. a lot of people are considering you know becoming research scientists becoming doctors becoming mm you know whatever else in the healthcare field too so yeah people just want to know what they have to look forward to what their typical day would look like um i think this particular person just wanted to know if it was redundant in any way (laughs) (laughs) or whether it was slow um but if you can just you know walk us through you wake up what do you do and then just walk us through like a very brief um, day in your life so weird no one's ever asked me that before uh <laughs> what day in life so i'll talk i'll talk about now so the day in yeah. life now is freaking awesome so mm-hmm. um i'm more you're more of your own boss when you're a postdoc when you're uh which, which I'm, I'm as a researcher um you you dictate your own schedule you dictate it doesn't matter when you go in honestly but you know if you want to build a camaraderie 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 <laughs> you know i don't know english if you yeah if you want to build like good relationships with your lab you'll come in when everyone else is in just so like you you know when things you know it's it's better to to have that kind of relationship um yeah you you, you get up you you put on the news if the election's still going on you see how many votes are left in freaking uh, georgia <laughs> georgia uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe pre-covid too like COVID. oh yeah no, no, i, I got know you. covid I got has changed your schedule a lot so maybe kind of like what's your typical day like it really has see that's the thing covid has not really changed my schedule okay. because bcm doesn't care sure. no because um no so you get up and then whenever if like for example sometimes you might want to read a, a paper or two to see like what you need to um, kind of keep ahead of you always want to make sure you check publications that are in your field so if you do that in the morning or in the afternoon or night whatever you always want to be reading i don't do that as much as i should obviously but like you should always be kind of ahead and like in your field and always be trying to learn something you're never done learning never done learning that's a fact and that's if you're not okay with that man i don't know what to tell you bro because this ain't a nine to five it's not nine to five life it's not it's it's you're always thinking about your research a little bit even when i'm talking to you sometimes i'll drift away and be like oh wow (laughs) but i but no, so it's also they, self-controlled. Like it is. It, yes, it how far you go really depends on how much work you put in. It's not like you know you clock in, clock out type of deal. Yeah, it's not a, exactly. It's not a nine to five. It's not a clock in, clock out. So you go in whenever you can, and um, you just kind of set your your own goals. So, for example, if you have a project and um, you have a, a a boss or an advisor that is kind of like, all right, just give me updates once a week. You don't want to look trash and see that <laughs> you haven't done anything the whole week. You want to make sure that you're progressing because. Um, your grant money only lasts so long. Yeah. So you have a certain amount of time to, every, every researcher has, so this is what you learn in grad school and in, after that, you, every research has goals. So when you have a grant, you have specific aims you have to reach, right? So, and those might be publishable they should be publishable. That's the whole reason that you're getting money to do the work. And if you are not moving at a uh, reasonable pace, then you will suffer for it later. Yeah. So yeah, instant gratification is not a thing. Like you got it in, 
you just yeah you just motivate yourself so for me i like to do i like to, to follow the nine to five schedule so i, I feel less guilty when yeah. i'm playing rocket league later on or Fortnite. <laughs> so yeah you just go in i try to go in, in the morning try to leave in the afternoon sometimes i don't have to do that much work so i'm just gonna stick to reading uh or sometimes i might just leave a little bit earlier or sometimes i might need to stay later and it just it just depends uh on the work so is it redundant i would say no because Every day to me is like I am pushing my agenda forward. Mm -hmm. I am figuring out what I need to be doing and what do I know, what do I not know, and where do I need to go to get the information or do I need to repeat something. Repetition is not that bad. Triplicate research, like just doing triplicate trials or whatever you're doing is not that bad. Unless you're working with mice, that's trash. <laughs> but besides that, like just doing things a few times is okay. I've had to optimize protocols and stuff like that and that can be feel redundant a little bit. Mm -hmm. But if it's successful and if i if i'm successful three times in a row i'm happy to repeat it sure so i'm it's not that bad but yeah it just it just depends on your work so and yeah the post grad school life is kind of more of an adventure mm. because at least in grad school you know like i said earlier you're always going to have some sort of fallback like at the end of the day your professor will help you out, whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. but after you're left the 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 nest of that is grad school it's all up to you yeah so yeah i think it's i think it's a little more um adventurous when you're that but when you're in grad school it depends on how much when you're teaching it's like that if you're a TA, yeah getting up just didn't matter i mean for me you know me i was getting up late yeah <laughs> wait so typical day so you go to work <laughs> yeah. you come home what time would you say like typically okay average now nowadays i get home around six okay five some six Seven be the latest, but not. Get home. Get start home. cooking. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. So, it depends. So, oh, yeah, oh, this is very personal. You're right. So, for me, uh, I before COVID, I was working out in the afternoon. So, I, I like, I personally, I like to run and I like to lift weights. And I think that's important because I, f I feel better um, after like a, a nice run, a good sweat. I feel less lazy. I feel less, like I have less energy. You yeah. know, because sometimes you feel like you're full of, you're like restless at night if you don't do something. Yeah. Or if you don't work out. So that's, that's, that's something that I picked up in grad school and undergrad and then I stuck with it because it gives me structure in my life. So on the days that I do work out, I don't cook. Mm. And the days that I don't work out, I do cook, whatever. So yeah, if it's a day that I worked out, then I relax and eat my good food. And if it's a day that I didn't work out, I am taking my time in the kitchen one hour. You hate how long I take to cook, but I take my <laughs> but time. But it's a process for you. And for me, it's like, you know, the quickest way from point A to point B, which yeah. I think both both are totally valid. <laughs> no, one, one of them will get you really, really good food. <laughs> you're right. You're right. No, you're a great cook. She's a great cook, but she refuses to take the time. It's ridiculous. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I love, as you know, I love to cook. So that is that is kind of therapeutic. I never thought about it like that. Like, I know people in grad school where really, like, they offer, you know, therapy and stuff like that. And, like, I knew, I had friends who really, really, really suffered in grad school. Some didn't make it and uh, in research and stuff like that. But I never understood that until I, I guess, like, recent, more recently, I've kind of realized, like, especially now with COVID. Yeah. And people saying, like, oh, I'm just alone with my thoughts and da da da. I'm like, I feel I didn't know that I, I have coping mechanisms. <laughs> I've had them my whole life. I just don't realize like, it's watching anime, <laughs> it's reading manga, it's chilling off some comics, it's making sure that I decompress, it's working out more recently, it's baking something weird for you, <laughs> cooking for you, uh, using the air fryer I just bought. Like those are really good ways to to relax because you can't be a hundred percent all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. Aww. That's really good. Yeah, but yeah, in grad school's not grad school's not that much different. Grad school is just like 
a day of life was like i would wake up at like 10 bro and uh um, if i was if i was taking a class i would just i would try to take the class uh, if i was teaching i'd make sure that i didn't do too much work i can't see the problem is teaching used to get in the way of doing real work mm. quote-unquote real work so yeah that was that was unfortunate but i i if we're going to talk about grad school going back to that i think being a ta was surprising so for those of you guys if you ever think about being in grad school they do sometimes make you teach uh, that was my scariest part going in because when I was 22 years old going to grad school, I didn't think I could be anyone's mentor because mm-hmm. I was like, you guys are no younger than me. And some students were older than me, right? So there's some people were military and stuff like that. Yeah. And being a TA was probably one of the most fulfilling things yeah. as a grad student because I was able to, I was able to, you know, spit, was just like, just kick it with the kids. Like, like I made really good friends and some of my students were like some of my best friends yeah. uh, later on in life. And just kind of seeing where they were at and just kind of guiding them and helping them out because I've been in their shoes before because I was mainly dealing with freshmen and sophomore for a while. And it was just really, it was really fun. Like I wouldn't have made as nearly as many friends or I wouldn't have gotten into AS. There's so much I would not have done if I wasn't a TA. Yeah. And people I wouldn't, we probably would not have met. Honestly. Yeah. So yeah, it was filling to, to help people out and kind of guide them and mentor them. And I still write letters of rec to this day. I just read one for Jess like last week. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no regrets. Yeah. Well, I think that's good. That's a pretty good, um, like, kind of walk through of your day in your life and all I that. I think. I don't think that was helpful at all. No, I think that is helpful. I, th- okay. I thought that was really good to talk about, like, coping mechanisms, and that was, I mean, that's something new for you. Oh, going in on the weekends uh, in grad school, mm. totally normal. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know what a weekend was until I got out of grad school. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. Oof. Which is, it didn't feel that bad because it was so flexible because it was plant stuff a lot. So, like, a lot of right. times, I, like, I'd work a few hours here and there, here and there. But, like, you know, my old roommate would, would hear me getting up at 2 in the 4 in the morning to go to the, the yeah. greenhouse and do work because I didn't want to be there all night. So Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. You get used to it. But yeah. maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like as long as it's flexible, as long as you're not miserable. That's true. That's yeah. something. It's something. Yeah. It was never forced. It wasn't forced labor. Yeah. It, yeah, it it definitely hits different when it's coming from your own volition and you're yeah. not forced to be there. Let me make sure we've answered everybody's questions mm-hmm. really quick. Oh, real quick. So you mentioned, so we went to Baylor. That's how we met. But how did you go about picking grad schools? So what were some things that went into, <laughs> what were some things that went into you picking a grad school? So for me, it was really easy because I said, I don't know if you remember earlier, I mentioned McNair Scholars. Mm-hmm. So that's a really great program um, that pay for your research. I've always been paid to do my research. And if you're good at something, make sure you get paid to do it. They waived all my application fees. Mm. And um, being a McNair Scholar, which is a nationally recognized program, they, uh, this is for my senior in grad, undergrad, they have you on an email role, whatever. So grad schools are just sending you mail and emails like nonstop. Mm-hmm. And I noticed Baylor University's and I applied and I got accepted. And then another one I got accepted too, but I like Baylor more. Okay. Um, so yeah, that was that was pretty tough because I was applying to all the big schools. <laughs> I was like, because yeah. my, my dad was like, you should just apply to, you know, just have some middle range ones, have some safe <laughs> schools. And I was like, nah, man, go big or go home. UCSF, man. Do the <laughs> Like, I don't care. Why do they have good everything? They, they're like amazing in every single specialty so for med school, for everything. I don't know, man. They're the best. I knew one Habesha... Uh, that was working at, yeah, she was like a UCSF uh, grad student. Never texted her my whole life, or like the whole time I knew her. And then like, like literally the day after I sent an application, I was like, hey, what's going on? And she was like, are you just hitting me up just for an application? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. She's like, lose my number. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's fair. I deserve that. That's true. But no, that was, that was, um, yeah, that was, that was cool because um, I chose Baylor in particular 
uh, I, I got flown out even though after I accepted but it was fine it was a really good program because they pay for everything and they pay and uh, they waived tuition and all that stuff so I, like a really really sweet program and it was uh, what five year BMS and my professor flew me out and I was able to see his research firsthand mm. and I really liked what I saw so yeah it was a really to me it was a really easy choice and it was so far from home and you so, wanted that yes I, I, that I grew up i was born and raised in missouri man central missouri i wasn't even i was an hour and a half away from san Luis and kansas city yeah and those felt like a long drive yeah so i knew my parents would never visit me if i was in waco wow. and i was right <laughs> oh so it's okay refund my sister came to visit <laughs> they came for graduation yeah they did <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, last quick question, and I want to touch on this very briefly because I've talked about this personally a lot too, but what kind of tips do you have for people who are undergrads right now that are looking to get involved in research? How do they go about reaching out to people? What kinds of things should they look for in a potential lab? Just very, you know, general advice for undergrads. Okay, for undergrads, don't be afraid to be promiscuous in what labs you go to. Like, you don't have to stay in a lab for more than a year. Okay. High key. I was lucky in that, so just to speak on personal experience, I, I, was, in a plant, I was in a plant lab, a plant genetics lab my first year, mm-hmm. uh, my first two years. And then I went to a virology lab for Duke for the summer. And then I was in immunology lab for my junior and senior year of college. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I benefited from having that. So when people look at my CV, they see that I have such a wide array of like skills that I accumulated yeah. from, those, uh, from those labs, those, those departments. And I was always um, emailing, applying, talking to, going to, con- not conferences, but like if you have a local like poster session and things like that, you should definitely go if they're on your campus. I think that helps a lot, kind of widening your, your range. It, it, it sometimes is, it does sometimes go to, down to who you know. So the, a professor I met at Duke University introduced me to the one I met at Mizzou from Immunology, like mm-hmm. a, a really nice program. So like sometimes you just have to meet people, but always email out, always reference somebody's um, like publications stuff like that yeah um, but going back to like the mindset of an undergrad if I had to go back to that like you're t- 19 20 21 whatever that is tough so and you're gonna be get you're gonna get put on dishwasher duty no yeah matter, so no matter what so I would not take that personally first of all and uh, second of all it's not your like, obviously you're an undergrad so you're still taking classes and most professors are super cool about that and they're yeah. like i could just you know help come whenever you can but if you can get involved in like lab meetings and just like constantly hear and talk to the grad students talk to the upperclassmen or women whatever and just like understand try to understand it as best you can you don't have to know everything but if you just try to understand the research uh from those that are you know there to teach it yeah that goes such a long way and you get really good really really good letters of rec like right. super dope like i've had i've met some really nice people or some people that i work for that we didn't get along but when it came down for me to go to grad schools i got some fire letters of recommendation they're yeah. like i got your back you did your work you did the thing whatever yeah so yeah um but only do it if you have time yeah for me i was like again i was paid to do this so i was lucky because there was a really good undergrad programs for minority students uh back in mizzou you were paid an undergrad i was paid i've never done research for free what the heck have I been doing my whole life? Being brown. I don't know. <laughs> That's what it is, man. This no. It's terrible. It is, no, there's there's a lot of opportunities. Always look for scholarships. Always look for opportunities. Yeah. Like, like, believe me, there's there's always money hit. These universities yeah. are tricky. There's money hidden under rocks, man. Just go over so there. So true. Yeah. So I always suggest... And you never that. know what you can get until you ask for it because I remember, like, looking into a conference that I wanted to go to last year and I just 
emailed a few people and I was like, hey, I want to go to this conference. Is there funding to do that? And they were like, yes. And I was like, I was not expecting that response in the slightest. Yeah, there's there's always free money and it always goes to waste. It's it's criminal, but for some yeah. reason these pro these schools are really bad at <laughs> advertising that they I have. I know. So, but they they're they're happy to raise your intuition or your intuition, <laughs> your tuition. Um, so yeah, so just bottom yeah. line, if you're interested, and if you have free time, definitely check out a professor to email them. There's definitely undergrad departments. Like, there's departments in undergrad. Yeah. Uh, go to your advisors and stuff like that and be like, I am interested in this. I'm looking at this department. Do you suggest other departments? There's, I know there's, I know for a fact that many universities have uh, entire registries mm-hmm. where professors just go in there and they look for students yeah. to come and just work for them. You guys are, you guys are free labor, but you, yeah. you get a value out of it. So do that if you like. I think, I think it's a good experience. I think even, I've had friends who went on to be MDs, went on to be MBAs who were in undergrad research and they did it for many reasons and I think they got a lot out of it and it's good to know because sometimes you can do the research you might hate it it's better to know that now than later so no definitely I think that's great advice and then also just going like one level of education behind in high school I personally Mm. was just like working not really working in a lab but I was literally on dish dishwashing duty <laughs> just to learn from them like i went to like lab meetings and stuff and i yeah. would just like wash dishes <laughs> yeah and they would like sometimes explain to me what they were doing so i feel like if you're in high school that's like you can just offer free labor just to get some experience under your belt and just if you think that's something you might be interested in i think that's definitely like a valid option yeah i was lucky in high school like that my my like my biomedical sciences uh teacher she our local university that i went to school at university of mizzou um, they had these uh, Saturday morning science lectures, and she mm-hmm. would always push me to go to them. Like she's like, "I'll give you extra credit, just go." <laughs> so I would go to those, and I would learn so much without knowing what's going on. And it's like, yeah. oh, like gene. I still remember talks about gene therapies, yeah. like using viruses and stuff. I was like, "Bro, this is lit." Why aren't they talking to teachers? Because they don't teach you cool stuff in school. <laughs> like, I know. Yeah. I remember my first like lab that I was a part of in some way in high school i learned what jack two kinase was wow i never forgot what that was but wow that's some cell bio <laughs> yeah it was like immunology lab oh my god it was a lot oh my god mtor there's a lot going oh, on oh you know what mtor yeah Look at you. <laughs> you know i was like 16 oh my god <laughs> okay well thank you for telling us a little bit more about your research and thanks a little for bit asking more about, of course I'm glad I I'm glad we're doing this because honestly I'm learning a little bit about you too. Learning about me? It's been three years. <laughs> I'm learning about your research. Okay. Um, and for those of you wondering, um, he's a Capricorn. <laughs> I feel like I just had to add that in because a lot of it makes sense. Pseudoscience. It's not even. It's not science. Oh, thank you. In any way. It's just fake. It's like the stock market. It's fake. No, it's not. <laughs> just because you don't know how to make money on the stock market. <laughs> whatever okay so a lot of people a lot of the questions we got asked were about our relationship um tons of people asking how we met so why don't we start there i'll let you tell your version of the story and then i will provide the truth bro we've done this how many times no matter what you're gonna keep changing the story until you look good in it give us get no no no. give us a brief a brief overview of what you think happened that night and then i'll go into what i think happened that night so audience if you didn't know i have text messages to prove what happened that night but it's all good so i'm gonna let that rock um basically it was a friday evening mm-hmm. it was during mescal so i don't know if i'm saying that right it's an ethiopian thing so basically it's a uh it is a, it's a bonfire type of ritual this is real 
it is a Christian holiday in Ethiopia. So uh, where you do a prayer, and you actually missed this a little year before, but it's all good. There was a prayer where you kind of walk, you literally run around a fireplace and, or some sort of bonfire that you have, and you, you chant this thing. It is during, uh, it's literally on your birthday. It's huh, it sounds like October. an Indian wedding. Yeah. <laughs> We're not so different after all. <laughs> so yeah, so it's a really, it's a really cool thing. And I, I was, uh, I was invited because I was, a, I was the advisor of the two, two programs in grad school. So another thing to help you, you know, ease, um, what do you call stress in grad school, right? Is like being part of programs. And I was really happy being an advisor and mentor for the African Student Association and the um, East African. What was it? No, Ethiopian Eritrean yeah, yeah, Student I Association. Like, I know what this is. Yeah, EESA and ASA. So that was really awesome. Great part of my great time in my life, man. Like a lot of fun. So in that program, I had a couple Eritrean friends that were like, "Come through. We're doing mescal again." And I was like, "Okay, I've been I've been pretty bummy. I've been wearing sweatpants for about four <laughs> years at this point, consistently." So I was like, "All right, let me put on some jeans. Let me put on a shirt. Put on some fake Timberlands." And uh, I was like, "Let me just go to this thing real quick and kick it." This thing was at my apartment complex. Yes, it was at your apartment complex with a really nice, expensive-looking fireplace for no reason. And we were making s'mores there. That's important because we're making s'mores later. We're making s'mores later. <laughs> yes, so they were making s'mores there. And we're drinking wine right now. Allegedly. I feel like we should announce that. I've like we almost should. finished my glass, and he's just getting into his. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, I gotta, I gotta stay fresh. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. So, so during the thing, I was trying to set up, you know, games and stuff like that. So I came to the thing, and everyone was kind of talking amongst themselves. And our mutual, now mutual bestie. Uh, Sarah Barrientos, <laughs> she was really close. For, she's really close friends with one of the Eritrean girls, and Sarah, who's also besties with Sai Zoshi here, um, brought Sai downstairs, and she's like, "You should come and have fun and hang out with us and have free s'mores." Yeah. So Sai comes down. Don't say yeah. This is my side of the story. <laughs> Sai comes down the stairs, and she looks like a goddess, but I couldn't recognize the beauty. And um, I'm just mm -hmm. sitting there. You forgot your glasses at home or what? Mm, okay. Well, see, you know, when, when beautiful people look in your direction, you kind of look down because you're just like, I, they can't be looking at me. So mm -hmm. I'm sitting there modestly, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> uh, doing my prayers, you know, thinking about God. Oh, and, God. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, what this is a it? new version. <laughs> I've never heard this one before. It's the same. It's all the same. So um, while she's downstairs, I am trying to organize, I think, a game of like charades or something. Yeah, charades. And no one is listening to me and i'm over here just like guys guys please please we're just trying to just trying to organize just trying to get all get all together and um at the same time my brother who looks nothing like me my friend michael aka mikey uh <laughs> is handing Sai her keys because she lost her keys at this point in time Sai believes that mikey is me <laughs> handing her keys and i'm not gonna call her racist <laughs> So I'm just gonna say that she was mistaken, and she probably had something, you know, in her eye or something like that. <laughs> so, so Sai goes back upstairs to her apartment, and she asks Sarah Barrientos, who is that handsome devil, not oh, the one that passed me my keys, God. but who was the one who was trying to organize the um, uh, the charades game because he was he was so adorable and he just looked like he, you know. Hey, okay, I'm gonna life. shut this down. I'm gonna <laughs> shut this down. I'm gonna shut it down. That what? is about fifty percent true. Can I finish the story? No, no, no. Let me add some some necessary details really quick i came down i have a turban on my head because curly girl method you know gotta have the turban on your head i came down to get some free s'mores nobody noticed me i came down inconspicuously got a s'more mm -hmm. lost my keys mm -hmm. <laughs> had my keys handed to me you lost your keys a lot, saw huh? him shut up i really did i was voted most likely to be lo be looking for something she lost <laughs> first year of med school so anyways it's a fact lost those things then 
saw you, pathetically might I add, uh, try to get charade started, mm. thought it was cute or whatever, <laughs> okay? <laughs> Told Sarah, okay. you know, that dude is pathetic and cute. Keep adding that pathetic part, huh? <laughs> I mean, that's a new one. I have to bring you down a little bit. Uh-huh. And then... Can I, can I tell what happened after that? Fine, go on. Thank you. And then Sarah runs over to, to Faven, our friend Faven, and uh, the Eritrean friend, and she says, Faven... Uh, please tell your possible cousin, because you your country is so small, please tell him that um, he has been cordially invited um, by the goddess upstairs <laughs> that she has a you know surprise birthday party she's not, not supposed to know about. I knew about it. Yeah, so come up. This is, this is the day of her, this is the day before your birthday. So, it's like, come upstairs for a surprise birthday. And then I look at Faven and Sarah, and I'm like, I don't believe you. I don't think any woman that pretty would ever ask me. And they're like, no, no, look. And they show a, you know, a photo of you, and you just look, you look great. And it was like something from Instagram. To nope. be clear, he didn't even notice me when I walked down with my turban. But suddenly he sees this like nicely, beautifully edited photo. It's of not edited. No filter on, on God. I put on everything. There's no filter. And I saw I saw your beautiful soul. Uh-huh. And uh, so yeah, so they told me just come through, and I was like, well, I'm already got jeans on. <laughs> what else am I gonna do today? So I went upstairs, hung out. Uh, I met a couple of our mutual friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to the homie Dustin, gang gang, my boy. No. Uh, yeah, curly hair, don't Stop care. Stop saying names. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, so I hung out with the homies, and then um, uh, she walks in for her birthday, and... Uh, you were one of the first people I saw, too. Oh, uh, really? Because yeah. you, were, you were standing right there, like you belong there or something, <laughs> like amongst my friends. He invited me. And Sarah goes, here's your gift. <laughs> and then proceeded to not be coherent the entire night but that's fine i respect it man she was like i got it from here (laughs) she let jesus take the wheel bro yeah and that whole night was awesome because um we found out we both had a mutual love for bernie sanders we did and um and interestingly a friend of mine had brought a friend of his (laughs) who was hmm what's it called he was making all kinds of noises he was hurling not hurling what's it called what were those noises called? Giving uh, birth, maybe? Uh, yeah, it's like a, it was like a dying moose. Dying moose. That's yeah. a, gr- a good one. So he was in the hallway of my like private apartment, apartment building, yeah. just like yelling in the hallway, and everybody was just trying to keep me away from this like extremely drunk and belligerent man the entire night. Oh, this was also my twenty first birthday, so like yeah, it was the you know first time I was drinking any alcohol too. So yep, same. <laughs> I was I was completely good though. Yep. Um, but it was a fun night. It yeah. was a fun night. It was a fun night. We, you and I, had uh, surprisingly, you know, d- despite the, the the chaos that was happening around us, we were able chaos. to have sweet conversations here and there. And um, there was queso involved, I believe, at the end of the night. <laughs> and there was chips involved, and um, numbers were exchanged. My phone was dead the whole time, so I, I know mean, he texted himself a winky face off with my phone. You know what time it is? <laughs> yeah, and then uh, yeah, so I went home that evening, and then I w- I waited respectfully. Like a gentleman, I knew she had exams coming up, so I waited a couple of days, and then she got mad at me for waiting that long. I didn't get mad at you. I was just like, what, what you waiting for? Shoot your shot? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to waste my shot? Anyways, that ends the story of how we met, okay? We don't got to go any more into detail. Yeah. Okay. That was cool. That was a cool time. You were really cool. Like for, I was honestly taken aback by how chill you were, because I was like, oh, it's her 21st birthday. She's about to be a brat. But you were just very calm. You are very um, considerate. <laughs> <laughs> you were not belligerent in any way, and um, I was having a good time because you were. The music people was... had gotten me my favorite kind of alcohol. Hypnotic. Oh, your hypnotic. favorite kind that you just drank for the first time? No, me and yeah. Exactly. <laughs> 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 Shh. 
shut up. <laughs> and then they were letting me control the music. I was playing all the music. I had a little speaker box that was in my hand. Yeah. I was playing things that were not even party music. I was playing like ballads and just singing loudly to them. It yeah. was the best night. This was the evening that I found out that you were in fact classically trained. Yeah. And I felt like Rihanna herself had picked me out the crowd. Well, yeah, she did. So wow, here I am under your umbrella. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was actually very fascinating. I didn't know that I I didn't recognize her, but apparently she was the same girl that's been singing at the Gateway to India thing, and you know Bailey University has like that India uh, like talent show, not talent show, but like cultural show. Mm -hmm. And I had recognized her voice, and I knew like the outline of her, but I'd never been close <laughs> enough to the stage to be like, oh, that's her. <laughs> so when I saw you met you in real life, I was very taken aback, and it was really cool. So, yeah. Aw. Okay, we're going to go into other questions. We have a few other questions, then we got to end this because it's getting long. Sorry. Okay. No, we just got a lot to say. It's fine. It's going to edit it anyway. So, here's, okay, here's an interesting one. Someone was asking about dating in the Indian community and struggles with that. So, I guess we can talk about, like, being from two different cultures and how we bridge that gap. So and difficult. if you've ever, I guess, like felt any disconnect when it comes to dating someone in the Indian community, because it's not easy. Like, Indian people are very narrow-minded when it comes to dating. Like, they've just wrapped their brain around the fact that people date. <laughs> Period. Period. Yeah, that's so, true. Same with Habisha. Yeah. So I feel like, I don't know, I thought it it personally was a lot easier because you also come from a similar cultural background yeah it would have maybe been different if you were like american <laughs> or like had i was i'm not gonna say no culture but you know what i mean well, no i season my food ma'am <laughs> try me but i mean you have like parents with similar values you have yeah, like yeah, yeah. you have similar family background and family values yeah you're career-minded so mm -hmm. i feel like it was easy to kind of like fit into each other's lives that way Are you answering your own question but i don't know no i'm trying to give you what i think before yeah, yeah, yeah. you tell me what you think yeah, no, I'm actually the same. It's not that difficult because we have similar expectations mm -hmm. and we laid that out really early. I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, what? how do you like give advice to people? And it's always, it's unfair, but the realistic, unfortunately, the, real, the reality of it is you need to know exactly what you want out of the relationship and whether or not you want to involve your families. And if you're going to involve your families, you got to be damn sure. Yeah. So that, inc that includes a lot of maybe awkward or premature conversations or, uh, you know, sometimes you got to weed people out. But, yeah, me personally, um, I, when my, in my earlier 20s, I was definitely feeling kind of guilty because I felt like, should I be so selfish as to enjoy my life and be able to not have to think about procreating and <laughs> providing grandchildren for my mom uh, so she will be happy? But, <laughs> and, you know, have a career and all that stuff. But once you kind of realize that no one else is going to be happy except you in your own life, like once you realize that like your own happiness is what matters and you know just being respectful to your family is more important than you know reaching goals that you think that they want for you because at the end of the day when you really sit down with your parents it's all about marriage and kids <laughs> it, it is but at the end of the day they'd rather you be happy that's true that's true even though they don't want to admit it I and mean, maybe they might be a little embarrassed who cares because they could they could, they could find themselves in a retirement home if they start <laughs> so you better tell them to relax but no um uh, with us I, I would say with Indian community I always understood um, the expectations. Yeah. I never felt like it was out of left field. I never felt entitled to anything. Yeah. So when it comes to our cultures, I, whatever standard you guys have, I believe the same with us. So yeah, I don't, I don't feel a type of way. And I, especially since you're in med school, I always felt like the worst thing I could possibly do 
from your parents' perspective, and which would be my perspective, was like messing up your <laughs> your study time yeah. or like your your career path because I you started this before I came. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, the least you can do is not be uh, intrusive, but yeah, no, it's just you just gotta just be honest and um, just have realistic expectations. Yeah. But it's not. I, I I don't think we had that much hard time. Yeah. Definitely. No, I don't but, think so either. But I think that like there's always going to be a bit of pushback from the Indian community yeah, 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 yeah. when like, I think your parents are pretty like open to the idea, at least now. I don't think, I think for the Indian community, pro- not, definitely not my parents. Cause all they care about is, you know, that you're educated and they, you know, you treat me right, whatever. Right. I floss. But yeah, that you floss, that you take care of yourself, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. But I think the extended Indian community, which some would argue, why should you even care? Um, but that's the point of Indian people is you have, you know, your, your like community aunts and uncles that aren't really your aunts and uncles, Yeah, like the community back home. Then you have your actual aunts and uncles that are actually in India that hear about this and communicate all kinds of things, disdain, disapproval, whatever. Right. Yeah. I, to speak on that. Um, so I have a unique perspective on this is that, well, as a guy, you're always going to get leeway. That's true. It's in my in my culture, and I guess in brown culture as well. So I will say that when it comes to you and my family, they always ask about you because I've made it clear that you are a part of my life, yeah, and that you are always going to be part of my life. When it comes to like whatever they ask me, like, oh, what's going on? And they, they first, this you know, eventually, like, all right, how's your girlfriend doing? Yeah, and like, what's she doing? Like, how's she doing? Because you know, even my uncle that you almost made out with says the same thing. Oh my god! So that, my, oh god! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why he, did you say it he, like that? He always asks about. She's like, "Oh, how's she doing?" No, stop. <laughs> and I was like, "She's the same uncle. She's cool. She just doesn't know how to properly kiss people on the cheek." I will tell the story because why did you have to say it like that? Because <laughs> it's funnier that way. Oh my god. Okay, so Quickly. I was at a wedding with him, where I met his whole family for the first time. I met his uncle for the first time, and I didn't know about this whole kissing people on the cheek trend uh custom thank you um where you kiss both cheeks i thought you actually kiss the cheeks right i didn't know that you just made the sound of kissing the cheeks that makes no sense so his uncle came up to me and like did the same thing and i just planted one right on his cheek i was like and i even made the sound too i was like (laughs) and then he and then he looked over at me and he was like this is a keeper right here this is real No, (laughs) no he was like um, no, you're you're just supposed to make the sound. And I was like, but his mom kissed me on the cheek. And he was like, that's between women. This is not appropriate. And I was like, oh, God. That's real. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. But so, yeah, so for guys, it's, it's pretty chill. But for my sister, I have two older sisters. Um, they always had different, you know, boyfriends from different cultures. And that's super tough for them because people will, like, your own family members will say, some crazy stuff about you and oh yeah for women I, I i i can only imagine what that's like especially for people who you feel like that's your family they should have your back and they might not always seem to always have your back um i would always just say like my sisters had to get tough man and they always had to be they always had to rely on themselves and be like these are who i'm with these are people who i'm with like my sister my older sister one of my sisters eventually married somebody african-american like he you know he fits he feels like a glove mm-hmm. like he's a he's a good dude he's a good dude and uh, my sister she made that happen, and it, it was up to her. And I don't think it was that difficult of a transition, but there was definitely a lot of crazy talk, and it was definitely yeah. a lot of disrespect. And she had to eat a lot of that, and she had to fend for herself. Yeah. And I, she always had my respect for that. And she has a beautiful family now. And I don't. And I think a lot of people have that story of being like, "These are the people who I love. Um, please accept it. If you don't accept it, 
I don't care. <laughs> yeah. So. No, I think that's a good point. Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought up the gender disparity there because, you know, your your mom will be freaking doing your 40-year-old brother's laundry yeah. until no. the day she dies. I don't want to talk about it. And anything. then <laughs> and then, you know, your the daughters are kicked out the day they're married. It's like you yeah. change your last name, you're not you're out of this family. And I've I've seen that happen. I don't have any brothers, but I've seen that happen within my own like extended family too. So mm. I, I think that's just terrible. But I think what I'm realizing is that what all young women who are dating outside of their race or dating outside of their community should realize is that it's all about doing things on your own terms. 100%. It's about independence. It's about finding out who you are yeah. and what your standards are. Yeah. Um, and people, even if they're family, they will bend to fit your standards or you'll live your own life. Yeah, yeah, At some yeah. point, you got to leave... You gotta leave the nest. Yeah, and it definitely helps whenever like you're paying your own rent. <laughs> like, it's just, that's true. Yeah, as, and, you know, if you're not relying on people, you have more leeway to kind of live your life. Yeah, on I will, your own terms. I will quickly say that um, your parents playing at playing devil's advocate. Your parents' perspective, because I talk to my mom and dad about this all the time, like what they were thinking, you know, how they how they feel about this stuff. So to get a little personal, they do feel like it is from a place of love, obviously, yeah, because their parents that they just want to. First of all, it comes from a place of embarrassment. Being yeah, like, it's I always, you know, what will other people, other think? people think? Yeah. But also they think a lot of times it comes from a place of love where they're just like, if I don't know their culture of the person you're with, I don't know if I can trust them mm -hmm. with you. So I don't know if it will work out because they do see, Ameri you know, love in the West as more volatile sure. and more maybe momentary and maybe more like fleeting. Ah, oh, well, there's the divorce. That's a thing here. Sure. So they might see it like that, even though people get divorced everywhere. But I know. Yeah. yeah, so I kind of see that. Like, I've, I've heard, believe me, I've, I've heard decades, literally decades of this kind of rationale. And I 100% understand when a parent... So if you... I think those conversations with your family go along a lot better if you try to empathize with them and be like, yeah. I understand why you're saying this. I don't agree with you. I think you're being dumb right now. But you're coming from a, a good place. Right. Just redirect that towards understanding me instead of trying yeah. to control me. Yeah. And this is why we make such a great partnership because... You have that outlook on life, and I want to start <laughs> with everyone I come into contact with um, if they don't see it my way. You're so five-star, yeah. You, you make me, like, calm down and, and see things from other people's perspective and have patience with people. <laughs> no, but you're good, though. You push me to, to be more outgoing and to be more, like... I deserve this amount of money. I, um, I didn't get the right food at this restaurant, so I will beat you up if you don't get Oh, yeah. I'm definitely like, send that shit back and get it right. Yeah, yeah, she's, she, yeah she, she gets me going. Because uh, if anything, my, my, I think my worst, what do you call it? My worst trait is like definitely being more, not docile, but like uh, not as outgoing as I need to be on some stuff. And it's like, you should be more aggressive. So I appreciate that. We balance each other out. We do. <laughs> okay really quick thing yes. what tips do we have for people especially now that i have you on especially for people who are dating others in medical school that their partner mm -hmm. is in medical school what kind of tips do we have for people for on how to make that work partner medical school yeah oh uh maybe you can say from your perspective and then me i will say from my perspective dating oh. somebody not in medical school kind of like how we make our schedules work because you have you know a, a busy schedule we have both have busy schedules how does how do we make it work i'm not delivering babies but um <laughs> yeah how do i make it work like uh, i've been saying just be be flexible like um as as the as the person who's not in med school yeah definitely be flexible 
and be super understanding and make sure that even if they don't your partner doesn't want to make sure they have they give themselves time to relax or to study and um just yeah just like i just be chill be really really chill because you're not you might you might feel like the things need to move in a certain direction and a certain pace and it's not always up to you or them it's it's up to how the program's going yeah and you know you're not the one paying a quarter million for a freaking degree where you're going to be a resident for how many years and it's 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 a crazy situation and i think as the as the as the non-medical student it is kind of the onus is on you to be a uh in my opinion a more like comforting presence a more calming presence uh more understanding because it's just like you don't be a source of stress that's the worst thing you can do so yeah that's all i gotta say i mean and if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out. honestly man it, it's better to figure that out sooner than later like you gotta have you just gotta have real conversations yeah and you gotta communicate and you can't be petty and only when it's funny but <laughs> you you can't you, you can't be you have to respect that person's time I've, i said that yeah. earlier like you gotta like if they're giving you their time that means they really mess with you like they really like you yeah so respect that yeah that's, that's it that's what i think no i think that's great advice and i think that you know, on the other end, um, being somebody who is in medical school or has like, you know, a really demanding life at this point in my life. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I am learning and are, I'm still learning is to not project mm-hmm. <laughs> as med students. We're, you know, always stressed about something. Um, so sometimes as med students, we're always stressed about something. Um, there's always a test coming up around the corner, something like that. And I have to kind of take a step back if I'm, you know, acting some type of way towards you and realize, okay, I'm actually stressed about, you know, all these other things. Mm. Um, it's really not anything that you're doing. Um, so, and then also just being considerate of the other person. We also have like huge egos in med school, I think. Mm. I think, especially when you're dating someone that's not in medicine, you're like, oh, well this happened to me. This is the biggest deal, you know, ever. (laughs) And then a lot of people forget to ask. Like I even feel this way when I'm around friends. I'm like, I delivered a literal baby. Like, do you want to hear everything about my life and what I'm doing? You know what I mean? Yeah. That just kind of sucks. And so ask about the other person. There's so much you can learn from people that are not in medicine because they have actual budding amazing lives and they're not just studying 24 7 so there's a lot you can learn from people um and just be considerate of people's time notice when you know there's some compromises being made for your benefit Mm. from your partner Mm -hmm. um and thank them for it and give back whenever you know your schedule allows (laughs) you know what i mean i'm aware like whenever whenever i'm free i'm like really free but yeah. then whenever I'm busy, I'm, like, really busy. Yeah, so. one or the other. And you're, like, pretty steady state. E. One of us has to be. <laughs> yeah. You're my rock. Okay. What's up? So this might be a good place to end. Mm. Um, so I ask everybody this kind of to sum up the podcast episode. What is some words, some parting thoughts that you might leave our listeners with today, whether they are looking to go into grad school whether it's about dating, whether it's about relationships and communication, which we talked a lot about, what's kind of some takeaways that you might want to leave people with? Okay, takeaways. Uh, in regards to research, only go in, like I said, if you have free time, if you are legitimately interested in the sciences, and if you want a good letter of rec, at least one. Mm-hmm. That would be lit. 
um, and, and, and enjoy it and because it is it is it is a wonder that we are able to play with all these things and to, to understand mechanisms that you know 30 years 40 years ago didn't exist before we were even born I think it's crazy like I, I, I personally I love I love this stuff uh, even now that now that I'm doing cancer research like I'm learning new things every day even after you have a degree if you if you feel like it's a drag I had I have good friends who they were in labs you're like this too if you're in a lab and you feel like it's a drag and you feel like you're not really learning anything don't do it yeah. No bother. But if you if you have a legit interest, you will benefit it from it exponentially. I think. Um, in regards to relationship, um, patience, and communication, this is the basic stuff, right? Patience. <laughs> this is salt and pepper. Basic, basic uh, communication, uh, and uh, just lay out your expectations. Like I told you, I had expectations with us after like two months. So, <laughs> and I told you we were dating after like a week. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, sure if, if yeah, if you communicate that, then you should be okay. And just be super flexible and don't take if your if your partner is not texting you after twelve hours, that's that's probably not your fault. It's literally them just like trying to catch up on sleep, or they haven't even touched their phone, or they're delivering a child, or <laughs> they're doing something with the water. You know, all these organs you mess with. I don't know what you be doing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think you hit on everything. Oh, right? okay, cool. Okay. That was well, fun. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. I'm glad we finally did this. Yeah. And I won't lose this episode. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I'm really excited to see how you corrupt this file. Wow. Yeah. Encrypted. Mm-hmm. Encrypted, huh? Self-encrypted? <laughs> Yo, she's so full of bull. Yo, man. Okay, Yo. I'm shutting it off. <laughs> it's an MLM. Thanks for joining us. This is all a scam. Thank you so much for listening to this very special episode and make sure you go ahead and follow the podcast at brown girl white coat pod on Instagram and follow me at cyber s-a-i-e-b-e-a-r and you can follow my boyfriend on Twitter for all of his smart and witty tweets at dr dr underscore good day. Again, thank you so much for listening and we'll be back all four of the co-hosts for a very special episode next Sunday.